Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. And here's why I love it. That song is just such a, a strong song. And I don't know if you caught the last verse, verse 4. It says, no guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Listen, listen. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. I love what Jesus has done for us. If you've got your word, your Bible, I want you to open it. And tonight, today is going to be more like a, a Bible study than it is a sermon. And there are a couple reasons for that. But I want to walk through this passage and I want to point out two um, events that I want you to see and how each of those things are practical for us today. All right? So that's what I want us to do, want us to look at. And we're going to just walk through the passage from verse five or chapter 5, verse 1 through the end, through the end. And here's what I want you to look at. Let's look at verse 1. And as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel, until they'd crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them. Because of the people of Israel. So listen to me, church family. We started a, a sermon series a handful of weeks ago um, out of the book of Joshua with a theme verse, Be Strong and Courageous. And I, Mr. James, I'd love to look at that verse. And let's quote this together and get it deep into our hearts. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isn't that good news? That is good news. We talked about how in chapter 1, four times in chapter 1, God says essentially, don't be afraid. And that's probably because we have the tendency to be afraid. Now, fear in a lot of our lives can show up in a lot of different ways, can't it? It can show up as, as impulsive action in our lives. It can show up as anxiety or worry. It can show up as doubt. It can show up in a lot of different ways like fighting uh, with one another. Uh, but God says, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Don't be frightened for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That is just a, a great reminder. And so we, we talked about the people of Israel going from the wilderness, making steps into the promised land is much like the church. 
in these days. It's much like the church in these days. Because the church in these days is walking from one place into another, into an uncharted territory. We've left behind what we've known, what's been comfortable. We're no longer in the Bible Belt any longer. And we don't live in this Christian world anymore. Pastor David Shirley, or uh, he's our director of missions for the Baptist Association. I call him Pope Shirley for short. Pope D. And uh, Pope David says it like this. He said, the, the, bi- or the buckle of the Bible belt has come unbuckled in South Carolina. We don't live there anymore. And so we're walking in uncharted territory and we're trying to say, how in the world does a church like us reach a nation like ours in these days? How do we exist? How do we do life? How do we do ministry? How do we do ministry corporately? And how do we do missions individually in this time that we're living in. It's unlike any time I've ever lived in. Amen? And so we say, what in the world are we doing? And so now what we've seen over the past few weeks is we've seen the spies go into Jericho and, and God goes before them to Jericho and, and just creates this incredible fear in Jericho of the Lord to which this lady named Rahab, this sinful woman, becomes used mightily of God, becomes a a part of the people of God by faith, not by birth. And that's our story. We're a part of the people of God by faith, not by birth. So she, she, uh, she lets the spies in. She gives them information. She keeps them safe and she sends them on their way. And then in chapter 3, we talked about following the Lord. What do we need to do in this day to follow the Lord? We talked about the Holy Spirit, how necessary it is for us to be as sensitive to the Spirit of God as He is sensitive to us in our sin, that we need to be mindful of always walking after and following the Holy Spirit, that we can grieve Him, and the only way out of grieving the Spirit is through repentance and faith. We looked at following the Word of God, that we want to be a people of the book, not just a church of the Word, but a people of the Word, that you individually need to be growing in the Word, diving into the Word, etc., every day, that the Word needs to be in you so that the Word might come out of you. That we need to have the Word, or we need to read the Word and let the Word read us. We need to dissect the Word so that the Word dissects us. That the Word both wounds us and heals us. We need to be a people of the Word of God. And we came into chapter 4 when we looked at the two memorials. The miracle of the parted Jordan and then the two memorials. One was on the bank in Gilgal and one was at the bottom of the Jordan River. The one on the bank served as a reminder of God's faithfulness. And that's why we sing, Here I raise mine Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. That's why we sing that. Ebenezer is that those stones of memorial reminding us of God's faithfulness in our lives. And God has been faithful, hadn't he? I bet we could sit here all day and, and talk about God's faithfulness. And the one at the bottom of the Jordan reminds us that our past, our sin, our shame, those things that have um, brought guilt upon us are buried under the sea of God's wrath and his mercy. And that it's there on the cross of Jesus Christ that the wrath of God and the mercy of God meet. And we come out, we go in sinners and we come out 
saints. All because of Jesus. And so today we look at chapter 5 and and we look at a weird, weird passage. I, I said the word circumcision more in a sermon or in reading the scripture today than I might have ever in my life. And I'll just say it's a weird thing. Uh, our children's uh, church bingo, um, they have a little bingo every week of words that I'm going to use in my sermon. And, and it's, it's on their bingo sheet. I mean, this is just a weird world we're living in, guys. Now, here's what I want you to see in verses 1 and 2, okay? Or 1. I want you to see that as soon as the kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea... Heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they'd crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. I want you to understand this truth that when God is working among his people for his people, the nations take notice. The nations will take notice. And I want you to understand something. So far, The Israelites, all they have had to do is to trust God and walk forward. And God has fought on their behalf. And what's happening all around them? Nations are beginning to fear the Lord. I want you to know, if you want to be a people who make a difference in the world in which we live, it's simple. Trust Him and follow Him. You want to make a difference in your community? Trust Him and follow Him. Live in such a way that reflects that your trust is not in earthly wisdom, but in a heavenly kingdom. Live in such a way that sets you apart from those people, shows that you are God's, that you belong to Him, that your life, your thoughts, your decision-making abilities are all based on truth that is unchanging. Build your life upon the rock of Jesus Christ and follow him in this world. And I promise people will take notice of you. It happens all through the scriptures. Happens all through the scriptures. Then in verse 2, this is what we see. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The people of Israel... However large they are at this time, commentators would believe that they could be upwards of a million people crossing the Jordan River through dry ground. God heaps up the waters of the Jordan 40 miles north of where they're crossing over in such a way that all of the surrounding cities would have been able to look up the Jordan River and see this wall of water standing in a bunch And then as soon as the last priest who was bearing the ark of the Lord stepped out of the riverbed, the rush of water came back down into its place. Now, there was this city named Jericho, and you know Joshua chapter 6. There was a song about it for little kids. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. All right, there we go. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came a-tumbling down. Right? We know that's coming in in chapter 6. So you would think the most strategic time for the nation of Israel to attack the city of Jericho would be immediately coming out of the river after the wall of water just came down. The people would be in terror. So go attack them. Go get them. But that's not what God does, is it? 
He brings them into a new land and he says, before I'm going to use you, before I'm going to use you to accomplish what I've planned for you, I want you to prepare yourselves. And so today I want to call today's sermon unconventional preparation, unconventional preparation. So they come in and they're waiting for their marching orders. God, are we ready to go in and get them? The people, the two and a half tribes with their inheritance east of the Jordan, they're ready to go. 40,000 men of war. And we've got all of our, the other nine and a half tribes, uh, our men of war are ready to go and get them, Lord. Are we ready? Is that what we're going to do? Bring it in, put them in the middle, one, two, three, you know, that's not what happens, is it? Now that you've come into the new land, I want you to take all of the sons and circumcise them. This is my preparation for battle. Can you imagine what Joshua thought that day? You, excuse me? Lord, I, I, I know I'm getting older and a little hard of hearing, but would you repeat that a second time? You want us to do what? Who do you want to make that announcement to the people of Israel? You want me to make, okay, thank you. Can you imagine what that was like that day? Hey guys, huddle. <clears throat> this is God's plan. He's, uh, uh, you all, um, we're going we're gonna to circumcise all the sons of Israel. Right. You and what army, Joshua? Right? Okay. All right. I'm, I'm making a little light, but can you imagine what, what they're all thinking in this moment? He says, no, circumcise them a second time. So Joshua, verse 3, made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Harlah, which means the hill of foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of, the, out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they'd come out of Egypt. Though all the people, verse 5, who had come out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. So every man 40 years and, un, young, uh, and under had not been circumcised yet. Now, if you're going, what in the world is this, all this circumcision talk? Well, in Genesis chapter 17, God institutes the ordinance of circumcision. The circumcision was a seal or a sign of being a part of God's covenant or his covenant people. It was not the meaningful thing, but rather the covenant maker was keeping covenant. And it was as if you want to be a part of the covenant, here is you receiving the covenant. You cut away a part of your flesh so that you might be a recipient of my covenant. And let me just tell you, there is so much gospel truth in there. Listen, if you want to be a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a part of you that before you can trust the gospel has to die on the other side of the Jordan. You, can't, you cannot trust the gospel and bring your baggage you can't trust the gospel and bring your old man along or old woman along too. And what I mean is your old self. 
that when you meet the gospel, that the good news of Jesus Christ, when you trust what he's done on the cross of Jesus, there's a part of you that is immediately cut away and buried with Jesus in the waters of baptism, buried with him, and you are raised to walk by his grace a new life. And, and he says, he says, it's got to be cut away. All of them, 40 years and under, had not been circumcised. Verse 6 says, For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that He would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I want you to understand that there was a disobedience in Numbers chapter 13. A rebellion against the Lord by a generation of the Lord that did not, their rebellion did not make them no longer a people of God, but rather they were no longer a people who would come into the promised land. They would not experience the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I want you to understand this, that you and I can also rebel against the Lord that we would miss out on some of the blessings of God. Now, what I'm not intending to say is that you and I can sin against the Lord and lose our salvation because I believe the Scripture clearly teaches us that God's grace is greater than my sin. And I can't out-sin Him. But there is a way that we can live in rebellion against the Lord that we can miss out on the blessings of coming into a land flowing with milk and honey because of our rebellion. And there's a warning here again for us. Let us, me and you, no matter what generation you fall in, let us not be that generation that rebels against the Lord's command to go in and take the land that I have promised your fathers, that I've given to you because we're afraid. So, verse 7 says, So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Now, I want to go back to Genesis chapter 17. And in chapter 17 of Genesis, verse 13, or the end of verse 13, it says, And this will be a sign of the everlasting covenant that I have with you. Now, I want you to understand that circumcision was irreversible. And God gives this to them as a sign of his irreversible promise. That God's promises, he is not an Indian giver. Isn't that good news? God will never take back what he has promised to you in the first place. I read this morning in my quiet time, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, that says, Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful For he cannot deny himself. And in their flesh, they had a constant reminder. This was not like the memorial on the side of Gilgal that you left and went to your house. But this was a constant reminder in their body that God is faithful. He is a covenant maker. He is a covenant keeper. And he will never let you down. Isn't that good news? And so, they were all circumcised. doesn't tell us how many, but it says that there was a hill. Verse 8 says, When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp. 
until they were healed. Verse 9 says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so that place is called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal means to roll away or wheel. And he says, I've rolled away the reproach of Israel from you, or of Egypt from you. Now listen, church family, hear this. What God is saying to his people is, I've brought you out of the house of slavery. I've made you a people. I have blessed you. I have provided for you. And I have separated you, set you free from that place of slavery. And I don't want that place of slavery to be a part of your life today. And if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, listen, He has separated you from the house of slavery. He has freed you with the blood of Christ. He has set you free. He has taken you through the wilderness and He has brought you into the promised land of His salvation. And He has rolled away the reproach of your sin from you. Now I want you to understand something. Circumcision was bloody. I remember my first day in Africa, 2010, in Senegal. We were in the bush of Senegal. And we walk into this village and they're having a celebration. People dressed up. People, it looked like Halloween over there. People dancing. People making songs. People making feasts. And we walk into this town and we go, what in the world is happening? They said, it's a circumcision ceremony. <laughs> I know there were a bunch of boys that were not celebrating that day. But, but I want you to understand that, that in the word of God... They, God was rolling away the reproach of Egypt from them. So it's circumcision, it's, it's bloody. It's bloody, it's painful, and it's irreversible. And in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 17, it was set up as a sign or a seal of God's covenant to you. It was your blood, you experienced the pain, and it was irreversible. But in the New Testament, the sign and seal of your redemption that you have been set free from slavery in Egypt, that you have been brought through the, prom or through the wilderness and into the promised land, is not your own blood. The blood that shed as a seal of your salvation is not your own it is the blood of Jesus. It was painful. You think circumcision would be painful for a, a generation of grown men. Can you imagine the pain that our Savior experienced there on the cross under the weight of the wrath of God at the sin of mankind? It was not just a, a little bit of feeling the wrath of God and feeling the distance of God. No, this was cosmic condemnation for our sin. 
And it was directed at us. But on that day, Jesus said, Father, you direct all of the condemnation, all of the wrath, all of the pain, all of the payment that they deserve to pay. You aim that at me. I will bear it. I will pay it. And there on the cross, it was bloody, it was painful, and it was irreversible. The sign of our salvation, the seal of our salvation is the cross and an empty tomb. And now we have, as a guarantee of our salvation, we have been given the Holy Spirit of God. I don't have to look down every day to see whether I'm a part of God's covenant people. I only need to look inside to see the Holy Spirit at work in my life. Am I being convicted of sin? Not by the pastor. Is the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin on a regular basis? If not, remember it says in Hebrews chapter 12 that the Lord only disciplines those who belong to Him. The seal of the promise is the Holy Spirit in you. And if you're not being disciplined, if parts of your Egypt aren't being cut away day after day after day, and the reproach be rolled away from you day after day after day, if that's not happening to you like it is to me, then you need to ask yourself the question, do I have Jesus as my Savior? And I don't mean, yeah, I prayed a prayer. And I don't, I don't mean, yeah, I got baptized because a prayer and a baptism do not save you. But when you come to the end of your own trying and you come to the beginning of trusting, that's where salvation comes. When it's not a, a power coming out of you, but rather the power of God coming on you. Do you hear me? Because salvation happens to you, you don't make it happen. God saves. That's why Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. The power of God. Has the power of God come upon you to roll away the sin of Egypt? They were healed. There in the promised land. Can you imagine the Lord saying, you want us, or I want you to circumcise all of the men of Israel. I want you to just understand that was radical obedience. Radical obedience. So this idea of circumcision for you and for me has in it a call to repentance. A call to repentance. It's got in it a radical spiritual surgery. A radical spiritual surgery. I read in my quiet time this morning, and this just sticks uh, so much. It's Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. It says this, Come let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. And after two days he will revive us. And on the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. 
There is a call to repentance and there to, to come into the family or people of God to, to wrap your arms around the covenant. Let me tell you, there's a call to repentance and there is a welcoming spirit that you must have to cut away from me, Father, everything that is of my past. Verse 10 says, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. Hey, do you remember last week that I said, what day did they come out uh, or come across um, into the promised land? Do you remember the 10th day, right? The 10th day of the month, 10th day of the month. If you want to look back, you can. Look back at chapter 4, verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Now, the 10th day of the the first month is literally 40 or so years on the dot after God instituted the Passover for them in Egypt. 40 40 years on the dot. And so it said on the 10th day of the month, God commands them in Exodus chapter 12. On the 10th day of the month, you're going to take a lamb. And on the 14th day of the month, you're going to slaughter the lamb and place the blood. And this is exactly what he does here. Verse 10, when the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. They kept the Passover. The Passover was a reminder of redemption. It was a reminder that God is the one who redeems. That they were helpless and could not do anything to save themselves from Egypt, but their God could make a way when there was no way. That He is a miracle worker, a way maker. The Passover reminded them of the judgment of God and the mercy of God all in one. The Passover reminded them that God was just That there was a punishment for sin. And there was also mercy to be found in the substitutionary death of a lamb. That if they would cover the lintel and doorposts of their house with the blood of the lamb, the angel of judgment would pass over them because of the blood of the lamb. D.A. Carson tells a story. In one of his sermons, he says it like this. He says, there were two men... In Egypt, that day of the Passover, one was named Brown, and the other was named Smith. Very Jewish names, he says. He says, and one of them came, greeted them in the morning, and so he said, you know, it's this Passover, I mean, the, the angel of death is coming. Have you heard? Have you taken a lamb? Of course I've taken a lamb. He says, listen, I'm kind of afraid. He said, he said I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen. He said, well, have you taken the lamb? Well, of course I've taken the lamb. I'm not stupid. But I've only got one son. I mean, you've got like three or four children. If, if one of yours dies, you've got more left. But I've only got Charlie, you know. The other man says to him, bring it on. I trust God. Both of them take the lamb, slaughter it. They paint the lintel in the doorpost and they hide under it. And at the end of the day, at the end of the night, 
the angel of, the, of death passes over Egypt, which one of them are saved from the wrath of God? Which one? Both. D.A. Carson goes on to say, it's not because the intensity of their faith that saves them, but rather it's the object of their faith that saves them. I want you to know that if you're a doubter and your faith is weak, or if you are strong in faith, it's not your faith that saves you, but rather it's holding on to Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It's that that saves you. Here's what happened. They ate, or, and after... Excuse me, verse 11. In the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And verse 12 says, and the manna ceased on the day after they ate of the produce of the land. Forty years. Forty years. God miraculously, faithfully provided for his people. Forty years. The moment that they come into the promised land and they taste of what God has been promising them for 40 years. The moment that they taste of it and they eat of it, the manna ceases. Now the land is providing for them. Let me ask you a question. Sometimes, well, who is still providing for his people? God is. Sometimes God provides for His people in miraculous ways. Sometimes God provides for His people in ordinary ways. But God always provides for His people. Always. But there was change that day. Did you notice that? Change. The change was, they've been living for 40 years this way. I wonder how many... Israelites that day woke up and went out and looked on the ground. They said, Joe, there ain't nothing here. Because they've been living that way for 40 years. Let me tell you something. Change is inevitable, isn't it? I mean, if, you, if you've lived through 2020, change is inevitable. Change is inevitable in your life, in your family. Change is inevitable in your job or your church. Change is inevitable in your spiritual life. If you're not changing, you're not living. But if we're walking with the Lord, guess what there's always going to be? Change. There's going to be spiritual change in your life if you're walking with the Lord. I'm going to end with this. They came into the promised land and God wanted to prepare them. And he wanted to remind them that you're a part of my people and you're a part of my people by um, circumcision. It's a sign that you're a part of my people. And then he, 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 the manna dried up. God's provision. They, they kept the Passover. And I want you to understand that both of those things point forward to Jesus for us. Jesus is in this passage. Both of them, we are a part of the people of God. 
not because of circumcision, not because of our behavior, not because of how good we are, but simply because of the blood of the Lamb. There was a substitute for us, just like there was for them in Egypt. But our substitute, we didn't apply His blood to the lintel and the doorpost, but rather we came under the blood of Jesus with our lives. That's what makes us a people of God. On this day, All Hallows' Eve, in the year 1517, this man named Martin Luther walked up to a church, a Catholic church in Wittenberg, Germany, and nailed 95 theses, not reses, but theses, to the door. And all of those 95 theses can be summed up in five principal statements, later called the solas, or only, in Latin, sola. And they essentially say it like this, we are justified, or made right with God, and made a part of His people this way, by grace alone, through faith alone, In Jesus alone, according to the word of God alone, for the glory of God alone. And we come here today, and we stand on those same five truths. That it doesn't matter what you do on your best day or your worst day, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Do you want to be saved? It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone? Do you want to live a life that's honoring to God and follow Him into underfamiliar territory? It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Do you want to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord? It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. We can never do it in and of ourselves. It's all by grace, through faith, in Christ, by the Word of God and for His glory. So I don't ever want you to hear a message, do more, try harder, be better, stop sinning. I want to tell you, no, it's by grace through faith in Jesus. Trust Him and follow Him. Let's pray. Father, we look to your word in the book of Joshua, and we are thankful We are thankful. We're thankful for two pictures that you show us in in Joshua chapter 5 of your redemption. We're thankful that Christ, his death was painful, bloody, and irreversible. And so is our redemption. And we're thankful, Father, for the Passover. Father, I pray for each one of us in this room that we would stop trying to please you and start trusting that Jesus already did. I can't please you, but Jesus has. So help me to live there. Father, for anybody in this room who is struggling with works, that they're working to try to make God happy with them, would you help them to come to a place where they trust Jesus alone? 
Would you work in our hearts? Would you free us from the, this pattern of anxiety because I can't do enough or try hard enough? Would you help us to find freedom in Jesus? We love you, Lord. And we believe that you want to do great things in our church and through our church, but please let us prepare our hearts for what you want to do. That if we will get right with you, you can use us to do incredible things. Lord, please. In Jesus' name, amen.